Chapter 4, Part 8 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 1, by Charles McKay. The Alchemists, Part 8. The Cosmopolitan. Many disputes have arisen as to the real name of the alchemist who wrote several works under the above designation. The general opinion is that he was a Scotsman named Seton, and that by a fate very common to alchemists who boasted too proudly of their powers of transmutation, he ended his days miserably in a dungeon, into which he was thrown by a German potentate, until he made a million of gold to pay his ransom. By some he has been confounded with Michael Sendivog, or Sendivogius, a Pole, a professor of the same art, who made a great noise in Europe at the commencement of the 17th century. Lenglet du Fresnoy, who is in general well informed with respect to the alchemists, inclines to the belief that these personages were distinct, and gives the following particulars of the cosmopolite, extracted from George Morhoff in his Epistola ad Langolorum and other writers. About the year 1600, one Jacob Hossan, a Dutch pilot, was shipwrecked on the coast of Scotland. A gentleman named Alexander Seton put off in a boat and saved him from drowning, and afterwards entertained him hospitably for many weeks at his house on the shore. Hausen saw that he was addicted to the pursuits of chemistry, but no conversation on the subject passed between them at the time. About a year and a half afterwards, Hausen, being then at home at Enkhuysen in Holland, received a visit from his former host. He endeavored to repay the kindness that had been shown him, and so great a friendship arose between them that Seton, on his departure, offered to make him acquainted with the great secret of the philosopher's stone. In his presence, the Scotsman transmuted a great quantity of base metal into pure gold, and gave it him as a mark of his esteem. Seton then took leave of his friend and traveled into Germany. At Dresden, he made no secret of his wonderful powers, having, it is said, performed transmutation successfully before a great assemblage of the learned men of that city. The circumstance coming to the ears of the Duke or Elector of Saxony, he gave orders for the arrest of the alchemist. He caused him to be imprisoned in a high tower, and set a guard of forty men to watch that he did not escape, and that no strangers were admitted to his presence. The unfortunate Seton received several visits from the elector, who used every art of persuasion to make him divulge his secret. Seton obstinately refused either to communicate his secret, or to make any gold for the tyrant on which he was stretched upon the rack to see if the argument of torture would render him more tractable. The result was still the same. Neither hope or reward nor fear of anguish could shake him. For several months he remained in prison, subjected alternately to a sedate and violent regimen, till his health broke and he wasted away almost to a skeleton. There happened at that time to be in Dresden a learned Pole, named Michael Sandivogius, who had wasted a good deal of his time and substance in the unprofitable pursuits of alchemy. He was touched with pity for the hard fate and admiration for the intrepidity of Seton, and determined, if possible, to aid him in escaping from the clutch of his oppressor. 
he requested the elector's permission to see the alchemist and obtained it with some difficulty he found him in a state of great wretchedness shut up from the light of day in a noisome dungeon and with no better couch or fare than those allotted to the worst of criminals satin listened eagerly to the proposal of escape and promised the generous pole that he would make him richer than an eastern monarch if by his means he were liberated Sendivogius immediately commenced operations he sold some property which he possessed near cracow and with the proceeds led a merry life in dresden he gave the most elegant suppers to which he regularly invited the officers of the guard and especially those who did duty at the prison of the alchemist he insinuated himself at last into their confidence and obtained free ingress to his friend as often as he pleased pretending that he was using his utmost endeavors to conquer his obstinacy and worm his secret out of him when their project was ripe a day was fixed upon for the grand attempt and sendivogius was ready with a post-chariot to convey him with all speed into poland by drugging some wine which he presented to the guards of the prison he rendered them so drowsy that he easily found means to scale a wall unobserved with satin and effect his escape satin's wife was in a chariot waiting him having safely in her possession a small packet of a black powder which was in fact the philosopher's stone or ingredient for the transmutation of iron and copper into gold they all arrived in safety at cracow but the fame of satin was so wasted by torture of body and starvation to say nothing of the anguish of mind he had endured that he did not long survive he died in cracow in sixteen o three or sixteen o four and was buried under the cathedral church of that city such is the story related of the author of the various works which bear the name of the cosmopolitan a list of them may be found in the third volume of the history of the hermetic philosophy sendivogius on the death of certain sendivogius married his widow hoping to learn from her some of the secrets of her deceased lord in the art of transmutation the ounce of black powder stood him however in better service for the alchemists say that by its means he converted great quantities of quicksilver into the purest gold it is also said that he performed this experiment successfully before the emperor rudolf the second at prague and that the emperor to commemorate the circumstance caused a marble tablet to be affixed to the wall of the room in which it was performed bearing this inscription facia hoc quispium alius quod facit sendivogius polonus m dresnoers secretary to the princess mary of gonzaga queen of poland writing from warsaw in 1651 says that he saw this tablet which existed at that time and was often visited by the curious the afterlife of sendivogius is related in a latin memoir of him by one Bordowski, his steward and is inserted by pierre borel in his treasure of gaulish antiquities the emperor rudolph according to this authority was so well pleased with his success that he made him one of his counsellors of state and invited him to fill a station in the royal household and inhabit the palace but sendivogius loved his liberty and refused to become a courtier he preferred to reside on his own patrimonial estate of gravarna where for many years he exercised the princely hospitality his philosophic powder which his steward says was red and not black 
he kept in a little box of gold, and with one grain of it he could make five hundred ducats or a thousand rix dollars. He generally made his projection upon quicksilver. When he traveled, he gave this box to his steward, who hung it round his neck by a gold chain next to his skin. But the greatest part of the powder he used to hide in a secret place cut into the step of his chariot. He thought that, if attacked at any time by robbers, they would not search such a place as that. When he anticipated any danger, he would dress himself in his valet's clothes, and, mounting the coach-box, put the valet inside. He was induced to take these precautions, because it was no secret that he possessed the philosopher's stone, and many unprincipled adventurers were on the watch for an opportunity to plunder him. A German prince, whose name Bordowski had not thought fit to chronicle, served him a scurvy trick, which ever afterwards put him on his guard. This prince went on his knees to send Evogius, and entreated him in the most pressing terms to satisfy his curiosity by converting some quicksilver into gold before him. Sendivogius, wearied by his importunity, consented upon a promise of inviolable secrecy. After his departure, the prince called a German alchemist named Mulefens, who resided in his house, and told him all that had been done. Mulefels entreated that he might have a dozen mounted horsemen at his command, that he might instantly ride after the philosopher, and either rob him of all his powder, or force from him the secret of making it. The prince desired nothing better. Mulenfels, being provided with twelve men, well mounted and armed, pursued Sendivogius in hot haste. He came up with him at a lonely inn by the roadside, just as he was sitting down to dinner. He at first endeavored to persuade him to divulge his secret, but finding this of no avail, he caused his accomplices to strip the unfortunate Sendivogius and tie him naked to one of the pillars of the house. He then took from him his golden box, containing a small quantity of the powder, a manuscript book on the philosopher's stone, a golden medal with its chain presented to him by the Emperor Rudolph, and the rich cap ornamented with diamonds of the value of one hundred thousand rix dollars. With this booty he decamped, leaving Sendivogius still naked and firmly bound to the pillar. His servants had been treated in a similar manner, but the people of the inn released them all as soon as the robbers were out of sight. Sendivogius proceeded to Prague and made his complaint to the emperor. An express was instantly sent off to the prince, with orders that he should deliver up Mulefels and all his plunder. The prince, fearful of the emperor's wrath, caused three large gallows to be erected in his courtyard, on the highest of which he hanged Mulefels, with another thief on each side of him. He thus perpetuated the emperor, and got rid of an ugly witness against himself. He sent back at the same time the bejeweled hat, the medal and chain, and the treatise upon the philosopher's stone, which had been stolen from Sendivogius. As regarded the powder, he said he had not seen it, and knew nothing about it. This adventure made Sendivogius more prudent. He would no longer perform the process of transmutation before any strangers, however highly recommended. He pretended also to be very poor, and sometimes lay in bed for weeks together, that people might believe he was suffering from some dangerous malady, and could not, therefore, by any possibility, be the owner of the philosopher's stone. He would occasionally coin false money, and pass it off as gold, 
preferring to be esteemed a cheat rather than a successful alchemist. Many other extraordinary tales are told of this personage by his steward Bradowski, but they are not worth repeating. He died in 1636, aged upwards of 80, and was buried in his own chapel at Gravarna. Several works upon alchemy have been published under his name. End of chapter 4, part 8 Recording by Jeanne in Washington, D.C.